There's so many steps now. Take your mask off, sanitize in. First and foremost, Alan, thank you so much for that very, very kind introduction. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I can tell you all, as I'm sharing today, I see a lot of my colleagues in the audience, and I was talking to Professor Sove, and he was like, I think you should share your story. You know, it's been a while since you shared your story. It's been five years. And he said, it's a new group. And I said to him, I said, you know, often I don't know what I'm going to share. I just go by what I'm led by. And so I will tell you guys that even up until last night, I was still thinking, Lord, what is it that you want me to share? And I'll tell you guys, there are four things that I'm going to share. So I'm going to give you a roadmap. We're going to talk about 2020, because how can we not talk about 2020? We're going to talk about reframing. I'm going to talk to you all about the power of reframing. I am going to share a little bit of my story, and I can tell you I'm not going to share uh, the accolades and great things that uh, Dr. Tennyson shared. I'm going to tell you guys some of the nitty-gritty parts of my story. And then I'm going to close by talking about love. So if you've heard me speak before, you know, and if you've taken my classes before, you know, I like engagement, and I know that we're, we're distancing and you all aren't supposed to be talking, but I want you guys to tell me, we've all been living in this 2020 year, can you guys tell me a word that describes 2020 to you? And I want you guys to just yell them out to me. What are some words that describe 2020? Crazy. Fascinating? Frustrating. Frustrating. Hell. Hell? Any others? Hope? Is that what you said? Hope, okay. Any others? Re resiliency. Any others? One more word, maybe. Unbelievable, right? And I can tell you guys some of the words that we've heard are for sure fitting words. I heard someone speak last week and he said the 2020 word was pivot. And he said, I've never heard pivot so much since my junior high basketball team. Pivot this, pivot that, pivot around. And I can tell you guys that that is for sure a word and it has been an interesting year. Uh, when 2020 began, I remember a lot of people who were saying, 2020 vision, you know, this is going to be the year of vision. This is going to be the clear year. And everybody was talking about how great 2020 was going to be. I heard people trying to strategically plan their wedding dates to be perfect days in 2020. I've heard our own President Hagen call it the Bermuda Triangle. He talks about COVID. We're all experiencing COVID. He, he talks about the uh, triangle having George Floyd and all of the social unrest. We know Breonna Taylor was killed. We know uh, Ahmaud Arbery was shot. We know all of these things that are happening in the social unrest, and we are right in the epicenter. I can tell you all I had the opportunity to attend the George Floyd Memorial right in this very sanctuary as his golden casket set right in front of where I'm standing right now. And then the third thing of, of part of the triangle are the elections. I know for many of you, this will be your first election that you get to vote in amidst all of the craziness that's going on. I will add a fort to that. So President Hagan calls it the Bermuda Triangle. I'm going to say it's the square. Nothing fancy, just the square. And I'm going to add to that all of the climate issues and weather uh, issues that are happening around our country, the wildfires. I'm a southern girl. The hurricane season has been active in Louisiana. And there's so much going on, and people just can't wait to get back to normal. I keep hearing everyone say, I just want to be back to normal. I remember when COVID began, and we were 
were simply saying, this is not sustainable. This is not sustainable. This can't possibly last longer than three months. And here we are seven months in, almost seven months in, and it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. But I think that COVID and 2020 and this whole vision 2020 was not a coincidence. I think that it was intentional. And what if God was intentionally calling us into this season of craziness because he wants us to learn something? He wants us to grow. I don't know about you guys, but before COVID, my life was go, 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 go. Commute, class, gym, movies, dinners, calendar full, no time to do anything. And God slowed life down. And for that, I am grateful. And what if he does not want us to come out of 2020 the same? What if he doesn't want us to return to the normal? What if his plan is for us to come out of this better, bigger, bolder? I don't know about you guys, but I have decided that 2020 is the time that God intended it to be for me. I will not be the same. I will be better when I come out of it because I'm choosing to see it that way. And I can tell you guys this, as I have time now to pause and think because I don't have the crazy schedule that I typically, excuse me, have, I'm looking at this as the chrysalis. So one of the things that 2020 has brought me is the opportunity to homeschool. So my little first grader is being homeschooled. So I'm going through all of these lessons and I'm trying to be as hands-on as a mom as I can. So we recently got him a caterpillar and we watched the caterpillar turn into a butterfly. So he learned all about the chrysalis process. But what if 2020 is our chrysalis? What if God is wanting us to learn and grow in this process? I will ask you, how are you going to fly whenever this is over? I can't say when 2020 is over because we don't know when COVID is going to be over. But how are you going to fly? How are you going to see the best out of all that's going on? So I'm going to pause and I'm going to give you guys a minute to share with a neighbor one positive thing about COVID. How are you going to come out better on the other side? So take a minute, I'm gonna watch the clock. So if you've been the one talking, how about we swap and you listen to your neighbor now? Okay, so the hardest part of think, pair, share is when you have to tell your group, okay, let's bring it back center. I'll tell you guys this. I believe myself to be a very optimistic person. I believe myself to be very positive. I'm typically that glass half full person and I try to see the best in every situation. But I will tell you this, I am human. And I have one of my girlfriends, when she heard me, I told her, I said, you know, COVID has just been rough. You know, I've just been finding myself in a funk is the word I'll use. And she was like, what? I never would have thought that. You're always giving me such great advice. And I said, I'm human. You know, let me tell you guys a secret. I know some of my colleagues here know this. 
But I joined the gym. I joined Lifetime last year. So I joined Lifetime. And so some people might think, oh, great, she joined the gym. She's health conscious. I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Don't share with anyone. I joined the gym for childcare. I don't know if you guys know this, but Lifetime, they give you two and a half hours every single day to drop your kids off. So I joined Lifetime with the intention of getting some time to myself. I said, I'm going to bring these little boys and drop them off, and then maybe I'll work out. (laughs) Maybe I'll just go sit at the cafe at Lifetime and have some coffee. Who knows? Well, it ended up working out great. I started working out. My children loved it. We all loved it. And then COVID hit. So that was my sanity. I was getting my sanity at the gym, and God said, nope, you're not getting that anymore. So I had to figure out another way to do it. And so I can tell you this. Can you go to the next slide, please, Chris? The next slide is a quote that I've really been focusing on, and it's a a Peter Drucker quote. And he talks about uh, what happens in the time of change. He says, the greatest danger in times of turbulence, and I'm calling COVID our turbulence, is not the turbulence itself, but to act with yesterday's logic. Right, And then I think of the quote, if you keep doing what you keep doing, you're going to keep get what you keep getting what you keep getting. And I can tell you guys, the greatest danger in this time of COVID is for you to just stay static and not find a way to come out of this better. And another thing, I know this is not quite the context that this scripture was quoted in in Second Chronicle, but I also want to read the next slide, some scripture from Chronicle, uh, Second Chronicles. Uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. Now, I know the context that this scripture is in, but I think it's awfully applicable to us today. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that scripture as we continue on. But I can tell you, this is a time. We have time. There's no excuse. I know uh, earlier last week, uh, Ellen Partridge shared, and she talked about how busy we are and how God becomes an afterthought. And the whole point is this. You have to be able to spend time with him. You, You have to be able to make it a priority. And I feel like he's doing us a favor because he cleared out our schedules and our busyness to give us that time to intimately seek him. And so I would encourage you to make sure that you are doing that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to move on to the next uh, area. And this is me talking about the power of reframing. And I can tell you guys, like I said, there's a lot that's going on with COVID and it's how you choose to see it. We yelled out words in the beginning and I can't admit it's a hard season for all of us, but I'm telling you guys, if you declare that this COVID season is going to be victorious for you, if you declare that this COVID season is going to be a time for you to get closer to Christ, for you to get, to figure out some things about yourself, if you declare that you're going to take this time that seems like time that you're bored and dig deeper and seek his face, I'm telling you, you will see changes. One of the things for me over COVID is I have began writing a lot, and I found that the writing has been therapeutic for me. Uh, As uh, Dr. Tennyson stated, I did write a book, but in addition to the book, I've written several articles this summer because they were therapeutic for me. So one of the articles that I wrote was five steps to living your best life or five steps to being your best self if you want to reframe it. And I can tell you, as you're focusing on yourself throughout this season and seeking God's face, there are five things that I would tell you to do. The first is I would tell you to control your thoughts and your heart. 
Usually when I get the platform, I always quote the guard your heart with all due diligence because out of it becomes the issues of life or it's the spring well of life. Your heart is central and core to who you are. And I would encourage you to make sure that you are searching your heart, making sure that it is pure. And that is how you can, con you can control your heart and be conscious of the things that you intentionally expose your hearts to. The second thing I would tell you to do is to feed yourself with positivity. So you have access to the, the music, podcasts, TV. Choose positive things to feed yourself with. If you are a person who has a commute, get you some positive uh, podcasts, music. Get something positive to feed into you. And that's related to the third thing. Surround yourself with positive people. Surround yourself with people who are going to speak life into you. Surround yourself with people who see the glass as half full and not as half empty. Surround yourself who see COVID as an opportunity to win, to be better, to just overall increase who you, your, your presence and who you are. And then this is the fourth thing I will tell you. You should remind yourself that you are blessed and that you are worthy every single day because you are. I know that might seem crazy, but when you're in the, brushing your teeth in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say, I'm blessed. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I'm blessed. Every time you go to the restroom, you're washing your hands. You look in the mirror and you remind yourself that you are blessed, that you are worthy, that you are a child of God, that you are intentionally getting the blessings that you are, that the seasons that you go through are intended for you to come out better, even when it doesn't seem like a positive thing. And the final thing that I would tell you is be a light. I, I, I have, I have uh, students and friends. I have a friend who she complains to me about her coworkers. She's like, you know, as a Christian, I have to suppress it at work, but they're able to talk about being atheist. And she's like, and it's just not fair. And then she's like, but then they want to ask me about why I'm always so happy and why I'm always so positive. And I told her, I said, light shines brighter in the darkness. Right now, there's these lights beaming from the, the balcony. If it were dark in this room, those lights would be even brighter. So I would encourage you to ensure sure that you be a light. Now, I know that it might seem like I'm merging in together messages because I've talked about COVID, I've talked about reframing, and now I'm going to shift to sharing my story. And with sharing my story, I'm intentionally going to explain to you guys how I can tell you the positive things like Dr. Tennyson stated. I can talk about the fact that I'm a lawyer, and I can tell you the accolades about my life, but instead I'm going to tell you some of my hardships and how I've chosen to reframe those things to see the positive things. Uh, I know one thing for sure is I keep myself grounded and focused by reminding myself of who I am and who I belong to. And, that, and when I do that, anything that doesn't seem like it was the best experience to me is overshadowed by that. So I'm going to start by showing you guys this picture. If my mom was watching, she would kill me. I'm just going to tell you guys that. This is my mom and dad. This was their prom picture. And I can say this. How many of you have a picture of the day you were conceived? I mean, I see one hand, and I know some people might say, well, I was conceived on their wedding night, and I was born nine months later. Well, I was conceived that night <laughs> on their prom night. And my mom embarrassed me one day because she shared that story. But I'm going to tell you guys what came out of that. So... And when she said it, it made sense because their prom was in March and I was born that December. 
My parents were 17 when I was born. They were, my mom was 16 on this picture. My dad had just turned 17. So it was a, a meeting or in, we had an event, a school function right before prom my senior year, my senior prom. And my mom was young. Like I said, when I'm 17, my mom is 34. And a lot of my friends' moms were over 50. And so my mom would always say, I'm young. She didn't want my friends to call her miss. She preferred to be with me and my friends. People would say, you know, you look way too young to be her mom. And she'd be like, oh, I'm her sister. And I'd be like, you're my mom. Uh, But we were all planning and talking about prom. And my mom said to us, you guys are making plans to get go to this fancy restaurant. She said, we went through a drive-thru and then got a room. And I looked at her and said, are you kidding me? And she was like, how do you think you're here? So my friends and I decided, you know what? It could have just been embarrassment. We decided that's not going to be our story. We're going to intentionally plan to get together at the beginning of prom. We're going to meet at a house, take pictures. We're going to stay together that night, and we're going to end back at the same home and have breakfast. And until this day, my girlfriends, we all still joke about that story. Like We're like, your mom sharing that story um, made a difference for us. And I can tell you when I even talk about the fact that I had teenage parents, a lot of that story is things that could have broken me. When you see my dad there, not just a teenage pregnancy, my dad was on drugs most of my childhood, in and out of jail, on drugs. When you talk about milestones, my dad missed them all. He missed high school, college, law school, MBA graduation. He missed my wedding. He missed the birth of my children. He missed it all. I remember when my husband called my dad. I'm my dad's only child. My husband called my dad to tell him, Congratulations, you're a grandfather. I'm just calling to let you know that your daughter just gave birth and the baby is healthy and she's healthy. And he was like, okay. And my husband looked at me with this confused look and he was like, I just thought that he would be more excited. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm used to it. But I can tell you this, the bright side for me is when I hear people's stories of growing up in homes with people who were on drugs or who were physically or verbally or sexually abusive to them, I think, you know what, God protected me, protected me. And I can tell you guys this, the first time I know with clarity that I heard the voice of God was in reference to my father. I was having a moment, and I should add this, I had a a great stepdad and I had a very good relationship with my grandfathers. And my dad, he is trying, he is not on drugs anymore. He has reached out intentionally to have a relationship with my kids. And I'm like, you absolutely can do that. I will never talk ill about anything from the past because I know he's intentional and trying. But I think about it and I say the bright side for me is I heard God for the first time on my my knees in tears just crying about having the absence of a father. And I heard clearly, you have a father. You have me. I've been here with you the whole time. You've never had to want for anything. All of your needs have been provided for. And guess what? I'm going to continue to be with you moving forward. And that was just a reassuring moment to me. And I will, I will t- go off on a tangent and share with you guys. If there's any area in your life where you feel that there's a void, know that God can be that. He's so many things to everybody, to whatever it is that we need. You need a provider. He's that. You need a father. He's that. You need a mother. He's that. A friend. Anything you need, he's that. So I would encourage you to keep that in mind. One of the other things I will share about my story is, uh, some of you may have heard me say this, I'm a first generation college student. And when I went to college, my mom, 
I remember saying to her I needed her to take me to take the ACT, um, and I'll tell you what I knew, why I was doing this. And she said to me, and this was the first time also I can remember having an attitude with my mom, because even though she wanted to be my sister, I did not play with her. So I said to her, just reminding you, I signed myself up to take the ACT tomorrow, and I need you to bring me. And she said to me, I noticed that you keep getting all of this mail from colleges, and I noticed that you keep, you know, you're trying to take the ACT again. And she said, I can't pay for college. And I looked at her with an attitude, and I said, I didn't ask you to pay for college. And I walked away. And I can't believe that, you know, I walked away. <laughs> but in that moment, I knew that I had to work harder to get to college. I knew nothing about student loans. I thought if I don't get a scholarship, I can't go. So I'm from Louisiana, and there's this program called TOPS. And if you get a certain ACT score, they'll pay your tuition for a Louisiana state school. If you get a higher score, then they'll give you a stipend. So I thought I have to get this higher ACT score because I need the tuition money and the money to pay for my room and board, or I can't go to college. So while that may seem like a barrier, I see it as a blessing because I graduated from college debt-free because I didn't know about student loans. Right, And so what the devil may have intended for bad, God made more than good. I'm the oldest child. I have two siblings after me. My, and, and for me, it was, I can't pay for you to go to college. For my siblings, it was, you don't have a choice. You're going to college. So I have a little sister who's a pharmacist, a little brother who's applying for MBA programs. And I'm just grateful because I know that it was that that seemed like a negative thing. I was able to frame that into a good thing. I can tell you this, I'm not perfect, but God my Father is. And because of that, I'm secure, I'm safe, and that's all I need. I can tell you every single one of us in this room, we all have sin, we've all fallen short of the glory, and for that we all need a Savior. And we are fortunate that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. And for me, if nothing else in life I can be happy about, that is something to be happy about. I wake up every day and I'm happy because I know that I'm saved by the blood. I know this. So there's nothing that can make me, that can shake me. Nothing. I can go through something and in that moment it might be bad, but I'm going to flip it and I'm going to see the positive. I think about, I think it was a year ago we had a chapel. It was student, uh, it was Taylor Sims and she had a, a group of other students with her and they did uh, a presentation on the stage and they were putting sticky tabs on someone. You guys remember that? And the person was able to take off the ones that didn't fit. And that was powerful to me because I can tell you what, you put, you let the one stick that you choose to let stick. You don't have to keep the things that seem icky and nasty on you. Um, the next slide is Galatians 5. This is what I use to guide myself. It says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I'll just read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. I remind myself of that every day. The next slide is John 15, 2. And John 15, 2 talks about cutting off the branches that do not bear fruit. So again, we're not perfect, but I will tell you, in me trying to keep the, the fruit of the Spirit, trying to practice that and exercise that in my walk, I remind myself that I am the true, well, not me, but Jesus. <laughs> I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes them so I will be even more fruitful. I pray that way all the time. And if I find something that is not fruitful, I, I repent about it, and I pray that God will remove it. Can we go to the next slide, please? 
And this is just a continuation. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples. All right? I would encourage you to remind yourself of that daily. So I told you guys we we're going to talk about three things, COVID, reframing, my story. I'm going to shift a little bit about my story, but we're going to shift into talking about love. So I'm going to start with the next picture. Those are my two little boys. So for me, that is the epitome of love. That's a testimony in itself because I didn't think that I could have kids. And then we had the first kid. And then we were getting from everyone, well, are you, is he going to have a sibling? And I use that as an opportunity to, get, to give a testimony. I would say, let me tell you about how, God, how good God is and how the first one is a miracle. So I'm not asking for another one. We're grateful for the one that we have. And along came Garrison. So Grayson is the oldest. Garrison is the youngest. Um, I will tell you that this picture is love and this picture is hope. And these little boys have caused me to step outside of myself. And how this relates to the book that I've written, one of the topics that I've started to write about is racial reconciliation and that is what my book is about. When George Floyd was killed, this grown man called for his mother. And all I could hear is my little boys calling for their mother. Yes, they have a father who is strong, uh, and I will say this, um, typically if I'm speaking, my husband would be here, he's at home with the kids. Uh, I appreciate him, love him, adore him as a leader of, <clears throat> of our life. I always tell him I could easily follow you because I know who you follow. It's easy for me to be your wife and put you first because I know who's first in your life. But I can say this, this picture reminded me that me being quiet, previously I would be quiet. I wouldn't talk about racial reconciliation issues because it made me uncomfortable. Yes, black people get uncomfortable talking about it too. Or it made me angry. I just didn't like it. I just didn't want to talk about it. But then when I look in the eyes of my little boys and heard George Floyd call for his mother, I realized that it wasn't just about me. And when I hear people talk about racial reconciliation, they talk about the need for you to be a bridge. And I can tell you, I posted something, I, I brought my oldest son to a, a protest. I'll show you guys a picture of that in a little bit. Someone posted something that I didn't like, it was very anti. And one of my girlfriends said to me, we call one another sis, she says, sis, you know you're going to get walked on. You want to be a bridge. And she said, this is preparing you because when your book comes out, everyone may not like what you have to say. But you have to be bold and grounded in the fact that you know that that book was inspired by God. The first words of the book say, you know when you can't sleep at night that God is at work. And that's what happened. Most of my book was drafted between 2 to 6 a.m. I like to sleep. God woke me up out of my sleep. And I began to write that book. But I can tell you guys, it is not just about me. It is about my kids. I have chosen to be this bridge to racial reconciliation. I am okay if I get walked on like bridge get, bridges get walked on because I've already told you guys, I'm, secu I'm securing who I am and whose I am. I knew I had no choice but to be obedient in writing that book. I will tell you guys this. When I look at my little boys and when the picture came up, some of you in the room went, aww. What scares me is to know that these little boys are going to become grown men, grown black men. You guys saw the picture of my dad. My dad is 6'6". Six, six. My husband is 6'2". My four-year-old is already, my six-year-old Grayson is already four feet tall. 
I wonder, when will my cute little boys become scary black men? When will my cute little boys begin to be seen as a threat? <clears throat> I know their hearts. Grayson is so pure. Uh, and he's, he's a gentle giant. And it, it scares me to know that my children can one day be seen as a threat. A few weeks ago, my husband had some friends over to say farewell to one of our friends who moved to Houston. And two of our friends, one of them, he's the chaplain for the Timberwolves, one of the few black chaplains for a professional team. So he and another friend showed up to our house, but they went to our neighbor's door on accident. And our neighbor came on, and we live in a gated area. Our neighbor comes on the screen on his, uh, uh, the ring doorbell and says, I'm calling the police. And I remember saying, well, he has black neighbors. Like, you would think that he would have given that a pass because, and just presume that they're coming to our house. But it's just little situations like that that lets me know that there is work to be done and I'm, I'm ready to do the work. The next slide has the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on, hang on these two commandments. I'm not going to go deeper. This is a whole nother message. But what I would encourage you guys as the takeaway here is, are you being neighborly? Are you loving your neighbors? Are you loving your classmates? Are you loving your peers? Are you loving everyone, even those who don't look like you? And love doesn't mean the opposite of hate. I know some people who will say, well, I don't hate anyone. Hate is an escape. You're saying that is a way for you to easily escape. Love requires action, right? So it's like, what are you doing to actually show love? What are you doing to step out of your comfort zone? And I can tell you, it's having those courageous conversations. The next slide as the, uh, I see the worship team coming up. The next slide is just me sharing with you guys a picture. We took Grayson to a protest at U.S. Bank Stadium. And just having to have these discussions with a six-year-old, I didn't expect my 2020 to go like that. That sign happens to say, stop killing black people. Not a discussion I wanted to start having with a six-year-old. He wanted to know who was George Floyd. He wanted to know why people were saying cuss words, the police. And these are discussions that we had to have. And so what I would tell you is, you can start right on this campus, you can engage with peers and friends who do not look like you, and you can know if there's a spirit of something, if there's a spirit of racism, a spirit of discomfort, a spirit of disunity, a spirit of not understanding, you can repent about that. You can pray about that. You can ask that God change your heart and remove that from your heart. The last thing that I'm going to share is something that Bill Tibbetts shared with the COBAT professors. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. I'm looking at some of my COBAT faculty members. In January, Bill shared with us uh, a document, and this was right around when Micah Pennington passed away. If you guys don't know, we had a student uh, pass away in, in earlier this year. And that situation made me realize how precious time was. And I will say the list on the screen is not even it's not all of them. There were, I, I took some off for the sake of it. But Bill doesn't know, but this was so powerful for me because I read it and I'm reminded. I'll read a few to you guys. When you forget who you are, like I said, I remind myself of whose I am. It says, and it tells you the scripture to go with it. I am God's workmanship. I am a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. 
I am righteous and holy. I am hidden with Christ, Christ and God. I am a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions. That's just a few of them. They all have scripture to go with them. Can you read the next? Go to the final slide, please, Chris. And it says, and since I'm in Christ, by the grace of God, I have been justified. I have been redeemed and forgiven, and I am a recipient of his lavish grace. I have been made complete in Christ. There's more there, but I would encourage you guys that there's a lot more of where that come from, has come from. We are living in this time on purpose. God intended for you to be here at this university, in your skin, in this chapel, at this time, for a reason. I encourage you guys to walk into that. Walk into it. I love you all, and I'll be praying for you all. And I ask you guys to continue to love and pray for me.